What are we looking forward to in 2024 when it comes to music? Are there any albums you're looking forward to? Are there any shows in 2024 you're looking forward to? For me? Yeah, no, the person behind you, Greg. Yeah, you. <laughs> shows I'm looking forward to. Transcanned Highwaymen. That'll be fun. That's that's December, no? Yeah, you're away for that, though, right? Yeah, I'm not going to be here. Here's what I'm looking forward to. I know it's like years, months away. Sorry, I should have asked. What are you looking forward Thank to? Thank you very much. Thanks for asking. Um, I'm looking forward to going to more shows at the CNE. That's what I'm looking forward to. I've never done show. it. Yeah, I've never done You've it. You've never seen any bands at the band show. Except this year. Now, I maybe as a kid that I don't recall, because it never yeah. made an impact. But no, I, 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 never, I never went. And I would always, you know, in the star or the sun, you'd, you'd see all of these, like uh, now, classic rock bands playing at the band show yeah. all summer long. You know, um, yeah, and as a, as, as a kid, I missed all of those, I, I, you know, for whatever reason. Uh, but now it's like, oh, yeah, there's, they still have those shows. I went to just one. I uh, saw the Sheepdogs uh, at the band shell. Uh, and that's, that's all we, we just went that night and just paid to get in to see the show um no we stayed we stayed that you know we stayed a few hours afterwards just hanging around but yeah i think that's i'm looking forward to that doing more more of more of that sort of stuff so oh, that was good shows there i've seen uh like i'm seeing i've seen in the last few years i mean uss played wow. men without hats like with spoons yeah uh, I don't think I've also seen that lately, like over the last however many years, couple of years. Actually, yeah. probably probably it's probably pre-COVID. Think about it. Yeah. So I probably haven't seen anybody Recently. since pre-COVID. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to looking forward to that again. Who knows what life brings? But that's what I'm looking forward to. And that's the pre-show. That is the pre-show. Or maybe it's not. Like it depends when you. It's going to be. It's going to be really, really interesting to cut that up. <laughs> not gonna lie hi it's ray robertson author of all the years combined the grateful dead in 50 shows and welcome to the music Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ray, it's a pleasure to have you on uh, the show with us. Uh, I want to start out with a discussion about a, a, it's a subtle theme. It's very quite subtle throughout the book. Okay. Uh, as a couple of times that drugs are mentioned, very subtly, very subtly, but there's a few times. once or twice, maybe something like that. Um, I think one of the, and I'm going to paraphrase you, but I think you said something like no drugs, no grateful dead. Like there was an equation to that. Um, let's let's kick it off with that like like can you talk about sort of the the the, the drug influence the drug culture and everything that yeah. had the influence on the grateful dead well there's there's good but good drugs and bad drugs i think and uh initially i think the dead were very interested in good drugs uh, exploratory drugs psychedelic drugs hallucinogenic 
And remember that the Dead, the dead start off as like a, a, a R&B blues cover band. You know, they're Pigpen's the guy, and, and they're learning their instruments, etc. But when they start taking acid, which of course is legal, when they start taking it in California, it is still like um, strange things start happening. You know, like why would we stop playing if it's fun? Let's play for 35 minutes or so, you know? Um, <laughs> drugs do that. Um, and also... Um, I think those kind of drugs open you up to possibilities, you know, to think beyond the music industry, for lack of a you know, better example there. Um, I think later on, when they become a touring band, a working band, um, cocaine is, doesn't have such a good influence, but that would be disingenuous because some of my favorite shows are during the coke years. And, you, you know, you're not playing three, three and a half, four, five hour shows the way they played them without those kinds of drugs. So like anything that's interesting there's no right or wrong there's no black white there's no left right there's no good bad. it's very complicated and that's one of the things that i you know i wanted to, to do you know i just did an interview and someone said i love your book the 50 greatest shows the grateful dead clearly they hadn't read it because it's not that and i said no it was 50 shows tell the story and um and i said one of the things that, it, that kind of they said you know what did you learn from it and i said well it was interesting how the society changed the world changed the rock business changed and the drugs changed and when your age changes you know you just don't hmm. same so drugs to me are are, are 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 not um a bad thing i think they're bad when they're misused you know there was a saying in the grateful dead circles that you know drugs aren't a problem until they're a problem and i think that's really sort of the essence of it you know but anyway yeah. was there a reason yeah is the number 50 symbolic at all no, initially I was going to do 100, and I thought, no one's going to want to read that book. It's too long, you know. <laughs> um, because the, the concerts aren't that long. They're probably, the minimum's probably around 900. Some go with lives, 1,400. But the way I write them, I think they're very they're very dense. And I yeah. felt that 100 would be, it would be counteractive. I mean, when, when you start off writing a book, you kind of have a feeling about how long it is. But you really don't know until you're about, for me, about 20, 25% of the way through. And I knew that, that 50 was a nice number in terms of, um, again, it's not the 50 greatest hits, the Grateful Dead. It's the story of the dead. So kind of like a, a biographer, I would sort of say, okay, that show illustrates this, or this show has got this. And they, they, it kind of was like putting a puzzle together in a way. And 50, I felt, was the right number. And then when I finished the book, um, you clearly have read it, so you know that the, there's a bonus track, and the bonus track is a 51st show. Because that last show that the Dead do, um, the last show they played in Chicago in, in, in July of '95, is, is you know it's a downer. Not just because it's the last show, because frankly it's not very good music and it hadn't been for a while, etc. And I felt, wow, great, I'm done. Ooh, the book's done. And then I had this nagging sense that it wasn't right. And then the idea that I had was that go back to really at the height, the peak, like '74, when they're playing well, the well is sound, they got their own record label, they're going to sell their own tickets to their fans, they have their own label. And so I kind of came back that way. So technically it's 51 shows, but um, 50 just seemed to feel like the, the book feels like the right power to weight ratio. I don't think it'd be a better book if it was 400 pages. I think it's, you know, I think it's a dip. You can dip into it, but if you want to read it from the beginning to the end, I think that's the right density of it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. And, 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 you know, you, you brought it up and one of the things I wanted to explore was that, you know, you, you weave, short stories if you will and that's what, one of the things i liked about it is short stories around each each show or each gig but you yeah. weave the short stories around each show around the band's timeline to tell that story so like how did how did you get to that well i guess that was the challenge because again it's not just you know 50 shows it's sort of 
like I, I, I glory in the music up to, you know, like 77 or some of my greatest shows. And so there was a lot of superlatives and a lot of it was just about how can I come up with fresh metaphors to explain how this music is so unlike contemporary music, so wonderful, blah, blah, blah. But then I felt that, you know, certain shows should capture what a drag it is to play at a hockey rink, um, <laughs> what a drag it is to play at a football stadium. Um, how it's not the same. You know, the epigraph to the shows is from a show from uh, February 13th, 1970, and Bob Weir, and that to me was the hallmark when he said before the show started, you know, this ain't a concert, it's a party, you know? And I thought, yeah, you can't have a party with 65,000 people. It becomes what it is now. It's entertainment. You go, you pay, you entertain me, I'll buy the T-shirt, we'll go home, which is fine. But initially, it was more symbiotic. It was more, and I like that idea. And I think it's huh. so antithetical to our time period where you go, I paid my $200 and now entertain. And you better play the songs the way that we liked, too, and play them the right way. You know, one of my favorite moments in the book uh, was one of the shows from November 73. You guys probably remember when they're into the other one. It's a real dark, you know, spacey kind of period. And then after about eight minutes, Garcia pulls the plug and says, no, I want to play Eyes of the World instead. I love this. Samba, like do, 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 do. I don't feel like being in that place and flipping this place. And what a what a wonderfully amateurish thing to do, which I think huh. artists need to remain to be. Don't be a professional, you know. And so, and they never returned to the other one. They just so oh that 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 wasn't something we were interested in tonight. And for a long time, it was like that. And I cherish that. And I think it's more than just like great tunes. I think it's more like a, a philosophy. Uh, almost a aesthetic philosophy, but also a philosophy of, of life, in the sense that, you know, we're not, we're, we're, anyway, I'm rambling now, but yeah, I don't even remember the question, no, but that was the point. Yeah, yeah, totally. It, it's it's interesting <laughs> you say that about, you know, playing the, playing what we want to hear versus right. something else. Well, it's a beat. Uh, my, so, my, my uncle and I, my uncle and I just went and saw Dylan at Massey Hall. Right. And, and, you know, for me, it was neat to see, Dylan for my first time, you know, I mean, I'd never seen Dylan before for my uncle who had seen him back in the sixties or sixties, yeah. I mean, early seventies, probably sixties, you know, he was expecting something very different. He wanted those classic songs. He didn't get them. He wasn't right. overly happy about that, which I thought was kind of interesting. I, don't know. I did have a friend though, who saw the same show and said he, they did play uh, Stella blue though. Dylan did play yeah, Stella yeah. blue. So that was kind of cool. Mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. I know it's, it's 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 very true. I mean, it's a very beatnik ethos. The idea is that, I mean, I make the case in the book: the dead weren't hippies; they were beatniks, especially when Garcia yeah. was in charge. And the idea is that if we're not having fun, then you won't either. And I think that's the same thing for books as well. You know, I can pick up a book and know that if someone wrote it because it was a good idea, it will catch the zeitgeist, to, as opposed to someone wrote a book because they had to. Because mm. if they didn't, it was going to. You know, I wrote this book because I was driving everyone around, around me crazy because I was like, oh, listen to this show, man, listen to this. And it's like, just go off and write your book. And I think that's, I think that for a long time, that was a real part of the dead ethos was um, we're doing this because we want to. And by all means, come, yeah, support us so we can make a living out of it. But, you know, we're not, we're not doing what we're supposed to do. We're doing, we're doing what we have to do. And I, I find that incredibly inspiring. You know, after 15 books, you kind of have to, Think about why are you doing this, and you're doing it to make sense for yourself. You know, to have a better, deeper understanding, say, of the Grateful Dead. Yeah, Greg. Greg will be probably the first to tell you that the whole purpose of this podcast is to get <laughs> one Pretty step, 
One, always one step closer to Neil Young. One, one step closer, one step closer. So as I start Korean, reading your book, sure. yeah, you, you talk about being a huge Neil Young fan. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's so so many questions I can ask you about this, and and maybe we'll <laughs> maybe we'll stay on here because it really is supposed to be a Neil Young podcast, right? Um, what's is there a connection you think? for you between your fandom of neil young right. and what came later in life for you yeah that's your great. fandom of jerry and the grateful dead that's a great that's a legitimate i mean it sounds very self-serving but it's actually a good question, I think <laughs> good question. um well neil young you know i grew up this is a different time period too i grew up in a small town where are you guys in windsor where are you based toronto you're in toronto you're in toronto okay same as me uh you know where windsor is i grew up in a place called Chatham, small town, pre-internet, didn't have any cool older brothers or sisters. Uh, didn't I? Ha- yeah, you know, it was tough finding cool stuff. And then when I found Neil, um, it was revelatory. He was like the first, art, you know, artist other than Dylan, but he was Canadian, so that was kind of cool. So albums like On the Beach and Tonight's Tonight and Time Fades Away, when I was in grade thirteen, made me feel like, you know, this wasn't on the radio. This was amazing stuff. It's interesting though that you say that because. Because there's that element to the dead, specifically Garcia, that is sort of, my favorite period is the sort of the jazz-inspired period, 70, 70, 75 or so. You know, every time that I buy, like I bought the new Neil, the, you know, the second anthology, not anthology, you know, the eight CD deal, whatever it is. Yeah. You know? And it's great. You know, I listen to all these songs that I hadn't heard before or demos of them or whatever. But I find that as I get older, I can't return to them. Like, I can't sit in my chair and listen to, you know, 15 three-minute songs like I used to be able to. But I can sit in my chair and listen to Alice Coltrane for half an hour, or I can listen to Youssef Latif, or I can listen to The Dead in 73 when they're the second set. And I I don't think it's better. I just think it's different. Because Neil Young, to me, was, he was the barometer of integrity when I did, you know, before I wanted to be a writer, when I was, you know, whatever. Just sort of like, that guy's got his priorities right, you know? And, and, it, and I think that's something that will, will always be important to me that way. Um, and, uh, you know, plus I'd had a lot of flannel clothes just like Neil. So that was <laughs> changed my high school glow, you know. Now you can't be like 73, 74. I mean, Neil is the guy. I mean, there's no one else like playing songs. I mean, he's not, you know, playing songs. There's really no one else like Neil. You know? And I just have the greatest amount of respect for him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, especially an original Crazy Horse too. Danny yeah. Witten, such a, such a such a genius. Yeah, and but that's it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fine. That's good. Um, how do, how do you like? Is is it that um, that ethos that Neil? You know, I'm just I'm going to make my music my way. Yeah, yeah. You know, was was yeah. it that that connected you? Like Jerry was similar. In yeah. that, you know, he wasn't necessarily writing pop songs, but he wanted to be true to himself. Yeah, well, um, I, as you saw from the book, I didn't really get into, I mean, I I knew about The Dead. I had a couple albums, you know, Working Man's Dead, American because I was more of an alt-country, you know, um, you know, progressive, whatever you want to call it, guy. So, of course, I knew those songs. But the epiphanistic moment came for me when I was actually listening to a Garcia solo album. Yeah. Uh, uh, with Merle Sanders, the great Hammond B player, and I love Hammond B, and I always picked up a rare record, of 12 bucks, oh, this is great. And I was listening to a, a song called uh, Like a Road, and it's a real small, small band, it's just 
Merle on hand and B3, drummer, bass player, and Jerry. And I remember for the first time hearing the guitar solo, which to me were always about getting the solo over so we could get back to the song, you know, in spite of, you know, like a hurricane or down by the river, things like that. I never really got it. Like when jazz people would say, the way that Jerry talked about Coltrane, he would say, well, I've never copied any of his licks, but he's been influential. Well, how's that? He said, well, to me, when I heard him, it sounded like he was playing in paragraphs. He would say something that now I'm going to say this and say this. And I, how can you get that from an instrument? You know, I'm a word guy. And I was sitting there and thinking, this song, I could listen to this song, of which about eight minutes, some of his guitar solo, again and again and again. And wow. And it keeps delivering things. And I could hear the and that's when I said, I've got to hear more Jerry Garcia Garcia. And so actually, that, that's what led me to The Dead. It was more the solo stuff. And then when you get into The Dead, and you hear Phil Lesh, I'd never heard a bass player who didn't bother to keep the bottom. <laughs> you know, which was like, huh. you know, I have a friend, he's a real year zero punk rock guy. And, and we always, you know, he always said, oh, dead. And I finally got him to come around. I said, Tim, they're a shitty rock and roll band. I get it. He went, as long as you would. I said, they're not trying to play rock and roll. And when they do, it's really not that great. I don't need to hear the Ned do Promised Land or, you know, Johnny B. Kidd. Phil Les never played the bass when he was asked to join the band. He was a classical musical nut and a jazz guy. And Garcia said, oh, I, you know, we think the same thoughts. I mean, and so you listen to The Dead, and I'm listening to it, and, and, and Les is more like a painter. He'll put a note here, a note here, a note there. There's no bottom. Like there's no, there's, you know, there's no bottom. And so it floats there. And so I can see as people say, this is really lousy music. It's really loud. And then you realize, no, they're making their own kind of music. Kind of like the way Neil would play those guitar solos with only two notes, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, but yet they sound amazing. I mean, we were in the car the other day with some cinema girl on Sirius Radio. Like, she turned it up. You know? <laughs> yeah. Again, make, making, making your music from, your own limitations, the things that in your head are, are wonderful. And again, I don't think those are just music lessons. I think those are life lessons, you know, not mm. not trying to sound like other in a world that is really insistent that we all look the same, sound the same, think the same. I think it's really refreshing that the dead kind of exists in their own ecosystem outside for a long time, not forever. They were subsumed, and that's part of what the book's about. But for a long time it was like, okay, you know, we're, we're gonna we're gonna do what we want to do and um if you'd like to come along, that would be great. But we're not going to chase you. We're not going to like make you know. It, it, it's again, it's about. It sounds corny, but it's it's more like art. There's something that we have to do, and we'd love for you to be a part of it. But if you don't, there's other bands. There's other stuff for you to do, yeah. which yeah. I find really refreshing. Yeah, and for sure. And, and it's funny because you you talk about you know eventually being consumed or becoming part of the the pop culture eco. Yeah, right. Ethos, if you will, right? Like um, one of the things you talk about in the book that I, I wanted to talk uh, ask you about was um, you mentioned again going to head fast forward to the nineties. Right. You know they were one of the top grossing bands in the nineties, and and I remember one of those years, I believe the top was Dave Matthews, and it's like how like I'd love to get your view on during that time. How were these bands that weren't necessarily again they had the the number one hit. You know, yeah. and, and and Dave had some yeah. hits, but these these bands were just massive when it came to to um, yeah yeah, and they only had one top ten hit, and that was with Touch of Grey, and it wasn't number one. I think I think it's because, and this is a good thing, and it's also a bad thing. Why again? I thought it was interesting to write about. I think it's simple. I don't you know, it's straightforward. I think people were attracted to the un 
corporateness of it, the idea that we're going to hang out and, you know, and the dead, the dead by that point, I think, are coasting on their reputation. But the idea is still that these are sort of outsiders. And, you know, you think of poor kids growing up during the Reagan years and things like that. It was probably very attractive. And I have friends. I thought with the book. Yeah, the music, you know, we, what we listen to is stuff from the 70s, but we love going to the shows because of the people and the welcomeness and, and, and the sense. Now, that did change, though. When it became, I, you know, this is a great place to party. There's a lot of sex and there's a lot of drugs. You get people who there aren't there for the music, which changes things a bit. And Garcia hated it. But, you know, he kept doing it. He kept saying how he didn't want to play stadiums, um, that they attracted people to get busted and there's no vibe. But, you know, when you're 50 years old and you've got mortgages and you've got alimonies and you have kids in university and you have drug habits, yeah, mm. 65,000 people sounds like a good thing, not a bad thing anymore. So that to me is that tension between, because mm. how much can you flirt with the mainstream without being subsumed by it? You know, how much can you, you know, like how much can we get out of it without becoming part of it, you know? And I think I think that was part of Garcia's depression was that, you know, I, I don't think that I, some of his best music, I mean, certainly I didn't know the man, but from what I've heard is that his most fun he had was playing smaller places with David Grisman, just playing bluegrass or playing with his solo band. But even then they were moving beyond theaters into small arenas, you know? So what do you do? How do you try to become less popular? It's an interesting question, right? Oh, wow. You know? True. Very true. Um, as, as I'm reading the, the the different concerts, I'm going to call them concerts, not yeah, chapters. Sure. But as I'm reading about the different concerts, you know, I'm keeping in my head. Okay, they they recorded every show, yeah. um, you know, archivists, and I'm thinking, okay, is there is there a band today, uh, not necessarily young, that that maybe is you know doing something similar? And all right. I could think of again, they've been around for a while now, is, is Pearl Jam. Um, right. They are, they support their bootleg culture. They support their right. fans right. in this way. They love that their fans are, are, are doing this sort of stuff. Um, from you know, from where you are, Ray, um, will there ever be another Grateful Dead? Well, two questions. I mean, the other the other band I think of a lot is Chris Robinson has really embraced it. In fact, Betty Cantor Jackson, who's the saint of tapers, she actually tapes Chris Robinson or Chris Robinson shows now. But remember that the dead did, like, a lot of bands do it now for the reasons that you're saying. It says nobody's making money selling music anymore, so it is touring, so it's good to encourage it. The dead, Owsley, Owsley you know, the, the asset manufacturer and their first um, benefactor, he recorded the shows for really two reasons. Number one, so that he could hear how he was doing with the mixes, because he mixed the band. And secondly, because they were young and full of piss and vinegar, what do you do after a show? You go out, you get, like, no, you go back to someone's room, you listen to the show, how could it be better next time? Now, after about 71, when they're touring, they, they just, it kind of became happy. They sort of record them or whatever. But initially, it wasn't seen as a pension plan or as anything other than this will make us sound better. We can have a better show. Yeah. But I think it's a wonderful idea now because, you know, nobody's making money off music. But you have to tour. And I think if you've got it. Now, if you're a band like the Eagles who plays the same songs the same way every time or something like that, then there's no real point to it. But if you listen to a show and go, wow, that night they decided to... Uh, you know, do a 30 minute cover of something or something like that. I think that's, it's like advertising in a way, but it sounds kind of crass, but it's, it's very healthy. And I, and I think it's breaking down that barrier again between the big, the big corporate thing and, and who we are, you know, we're all kind of in this together. I, I really like that idea. 
you know, Weir said that the dead stood for misfit power, and I really like that, you know. Mm. Uh, if you ever been to a, a dead show or a dead tribute show, and there are some good bands. There's one in Toronto that's going to be playing. Who's got his dead's playing on my life? Um, people dance, and dancing the Gre dead's music can be really ugly. I mean, people, there's, there's no bottom to it. <laughs> it's a lot of just sort of, but it feels good, and guys like me who never danced before, because you're in a Neil Young, dance in a Neil Young show. You know, that's just no. not cool. Everybody's dancing, and Beautiful. And, and, and what I like, too, about these shows, too, is that you'll have young people and you'll have people who are in their 60s, you know, older than me, who were there because they've been to shows. It's more like a not religious, but it's almost like it, it's a it's a ceremony appreciating the, 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 the whole experience. And I, I think that's really cool. You know, hmm. um, it's OK to be an outsider in the dead's world. And I think that's really attractive. You know, it's not it's kind of cool now because they're nostalgia. But I, I think there's something about that misfit power. that's really attractive. Yeah. Hmm. So as 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 we near the end of this ray, and, and by the way, thank you so much again for joining us. The book, mm -hmm. before I forget, is All the Years Combined, The Grateful Dead in 50 Shows. Uh, our guest has been uh Ray Robertson. Um Ray, I'll 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 be the first to admit uh Touch of Grey is, is my Grateful Dead song. Um I I I just love, I will, that's one song guaranteed that if I ever hear it on the radio, if I, if it ever comes on a right. playlist, right. Um, I'm cranking it up. There's just yeah. something fun about oh, that's, like, that it's song. It's like song that's just so affirmative. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but for people like me and others who have heard about the legend of the dead, right. they've right. heard deadheads, right. they've heard about these shows. Um, if there is one album that yeah. someone should go and listen to for the first Grateful Dead experience, which one should it be? Well, I, I, I said talk about in the book in a way. I mean, if you're into songs, Working Man's Dead or American Beauty will blow your mind. There's just such great songs. If you're a jam person, you're probably going to want Live Dead or one of the many, many you know bootlegs. For me, my sweet spot is if I was going to turn a friend, a friend on to it, it would be Europe 72. Because by then, they've got okay. the whole package. They've got the first set is packed with songs, mostly newly written songs. Beautiful three or four minute, five minute songs, six minute songs. Well, they don't do three minute songs, but shorter songs. And yet the second set is full of jazz and space. And, and then they'll come back to songs. And to me, if you get the whole, and no show is under three hours. It's really, so I'd say Europe 72 is really where a lot of people sort of say, you know, here's something that I can I can grab onto. So for me, initially, it was Garcia's guitar and the shorter stuff. I was a little aware. I mean, drum solos, really? Not not my cup of tea. And then you sort of, you know, you become sort of immersed and you see sort of the value of it. So that, that's that's really where, where I would start. Europe 72. But for me, my sweet spot is 73, 74, as I say in the book. That's really when it gets as jazzy. I mean, you listen to some of the stuff Miles is doing in 74, and it's, you know, obviously it's out there. But you listen to a second set from a dead show, some of those dark stars or other ones are playing in the bands. I mean, they are completely playing free. They're unscripted, you know, which is why sometimes they're a disaster. You know, they don't go anywhere, <laughs> you know? But, 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 you know, it's like traveling on a map. You might get lost, but you also might avoid, you know, the highway in some interesting places, you know? And that's why people like to, like me, have a bunch of shows from the same period because this show's got this or this show's got that. Or that night, you know, there's, I've got a couple shows where, you know, they're really in the atmosphere. They're really spacey stuff. 
And then you can hear Weir in your headphone trying to lure them back into a song, you know, Big River, El Paso. And Garcia says, well, he won't have anything to do with it. I'm going to stay up here. And then Weir will like hit it again to Sugar Magnolia. And be like, no, I'm not going to. I mean, that's very real to me. And that's the antithesis, again, of a lot of our culture where it is very, you know, ordained, pre pre preordained. So, oh, yeah. sorry, I lost you there. Still there? Okay. We, yeah, you're still here. You're still here. Ray, thank you so much for joining yes, us. Thank you. The pleasure. Book, pleasure. Uh, you can't see it on the screen, but hold it. Hold is, it against yourself. Hold it against your chest. There you, there go. you go. Look at you. I can't see you guys. I hope you're holding it up. Yeah. And we're holding it up. All the years combined, <laughs> our guest has been Ray Roberts in The Grateful Dead in 50 shows. Please go get this book at your local bookstore. Um, if they don't have it, tell them to order it for you. Um, Fantastic read, especially if you're a Grateful Dead fan. And if you're, hey, if you're a music fan, uh, pick this up. Pick this up for yourself. Pick pick up another one for your friend. It's uh, Christmas Ray, season, you know. <laughs> thank you so much. But thanks for having me, guys.